0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by John Melari. So in this episode, I'm going to give a breakdown of the NBA All-Star Weekend. But before doing so, I'm going to talk about some news around the NBA. With a big headline coming out of Brooklyn on Monday, Jacques Vaughn, the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets, was fired. And I think Brooklyn's a very interesting team. If you look at them at the start of the season, they started out the season 13 to 10 with a win over the Clippers at one point. They had a plus three point per game differential in the first 13 games and averaged 117 points per game in those first 23 games. In their last 31 games, though, they were eight and 23, eight wins, 23 losses, a minus 6.2 point per game differential and averaged 111 points per game. So all of those numbers went downhill over the last 31 games. They're currently 21-33, and 33, two and a half games out of a play-in spot. Vaughn finishes his time in Brooklyn with a 71-68 and 68 record. And the crazy thing is that Vaughn will still be paid by Brooklyn, even though he's not their head coach. And the same goes to Steve Nash. And now their new head coach is actually Kevin Ollie, an assistant coach with Brooklyn Nets, who was just hired as the interim head coach. Now they have three guys that are paying to be their head coach. Vaughn, Nash, and Ollie. And we'll see what they do in the last 28 games with Ollie. I'm wishing the Brooklyn Nets nothing but the best. In February of 2023, though, Vaughn was given an extension through the 2026-2027 NBA season. And that's money he still owed. And Brooklyn's downfall over the last four years has been crazy to watch. At one point, they had Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden and couldn't get the job done. They couldn't stay healthy. And then Kevin Durant having his foot against the line against the Milwaukee Bucks in Game 7. That was obviously a big difference maker as well. But this team had the pieces to make a run. They really did. They had the pieces. You had the big three there, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. You should have probably won at least one championship with those guys. And then if you look even last year, after James Harden was gone already, and they still had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, there are still good role players in this Brooklyn Nets team. There are still good role players. You had Nick Claxton, Cam Thomas. This team should have been better. And even this season, this team should be better. I'm not saying this team would be a contender in the East right now. But they're definitely better than 21-33. and 33. They do have more talent than a 21-33 and 33 record. Dorian Finney-Smith, Nick Claxton, Cam Thomas, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, even Ben Simmons. I know you can't rely on him, but he's still a good player when he's out there, especially with his court vision. They do have talent on this team, but somehow, someway, they're 21-33. and 33. And supposedly, according to reports, Vaughn was gotten rid of because the team lost faith in him and they began to get frustrated with him. Mind you, their last game with Vaughn, right before the All-Star break, they lost by 50 to the Boston Celtics. And so players were losing confidence in Vaughn, and people in the front office thought there was a legitimate chance that Vaughn being their head coach would stop big free agents from coming to the Brooklyn Nets. And one thing to keep in mind, Brooklyn's going to be star hunting this summer. They're going to be looking for a big star to get. Whether it's a free agent or a big trade, they're looking to add to this team. And I'd love to see them go get Donovan Mitchell on a trade. That's probably unlikely, but I'd love to see them go at least try. But I do feel bad for Vaughn to some degree. Because if you look at it, the Brooklyn Nets... And the way they've just gone through coaches over the last four or five years has been just wild. Kenny Atkinson, at first, was fired at the start of the Kevin Durant-Kyrie Irving era because Kyrie Irving didn't want him. Then Steve Nash was fired because Kevin Durant-Kyrie Irving were done with him. And now Vaughn is out as well. And obviously, KD and Kyrie aren't to blame. They're gone. But Vaughn also stepped into a position where a lot of pressure was on him right away. I mean, Kevin Durant-Kyrie Irving already went through two head coaches. So a lot of pressure was on Vaughn to figure things out for this team. And obviously, things didn't work out. But if you consider all the distractions that were around in the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving era in Brooklyn, obviously Vaughn did have his issues as a head coach. Seems like the team did lose confidence in him right now this season. But if you look at all the distractions around Brooklyn over the last few years, and Vaughn kind of dealt with it all in the best way possible, answered questions the right way, and never really put his team under the bus for guys not showing up, or whatever it may be, he never blamed anyone in those interviews after games. But at the end of the day, it's a results business. And obviously things weren't going in the right direction for the Brooklyn Nets, so I understand why they got rid of Vaughn. But at the same time, I don't completely blame them. I mean, the players out there have to be playing hard as well. And even though the Brooklyn Nets are only two and a half games out of playing spot, if you watched a team play in the last two weeks, you would have thought they were one of the worst teams in the NBA. You would never think this team's two and a half games out of playing spot. You would have thought they probably were 12 or 14 games out of playing spot by watching them. So maybe they did really lose faith in Vaughn. And that's the reason the Brooklyn Nets are moving on. So we'll see what Kevin Ollie does in the last 28 games of the season. And I'm rooting for Brooklyn. After I went to that game, the Clippers-Brooklyn-Nets game back in November, I started following them and watching their games and following news around the team. I'm rooting for that team to figure things out. I do like that roster. I think they're still a star away from contending in the East. And I think Mikael Bridges is more of a number two option than a number one. If they could add a number one option to that lineup and keep those core players around, those good role players like Nick Claxton and Cam Thomas, two guys I'm very high on that I think are rising stars in the NBA, then I think that team could be dangerous with a number one. So now I'm going to move on to another storyline in the NBA. Now heading into the second half of the season, the Los Angeles Lakers and the Golden State Warriors are looking to make a run. And the big question is, are they capable of making a run? In February, the Lakers are 6-1, Golden State 7-2. These two teams are playing good basketball heading into the all-star break. And now the major question is, what are they going to do now after the all-star break? Is the hot streak going to continue? Are they going to go back to their ways of what they've been doing just about all season long and not living up to the hype? They were highly regarded teams heading into the season. A lot of people had them in their finals predictions. And there's still 26 and 29 games left to go. Golden State has 29 games left. The Lakers have 26. So there is time for these two teams to stay hot and figure things out. But it won't be easy. Although Golden State does have an easy schedule remaining, the Lakers don't. Golden State has the sixth easiest schedule remaining in the NBA. And a big advantage for them, they have to play San Antonio three times, and they get to play Charlotte two times. That's five games right there. They should probably win four of five games, if not all five. One thing I was surprised about at the trade deadline was Golden State staying still. They didn't do anything, and the Lakers didn't either. Neither team did anything. I expected both of them to make a move. As for the Lakers, LeBron James doesn't have many seasons left. And that's basically what he told reporters at the All-Star game. Who knows if LeBron James is going to stay in L.A. after the season ends. And the Lakers obviously know that, so I think they're going to play with a sense of urgency in the second half of the season. And I say second half, there's only 26 games left. The Lakers were called by Golden State and Philadelphia about a LeBron James trade. And even though LeBron says he knew nothing about it, I highly doubt that. I'm sure he knew. But I don't believe in the Lakers as a major threat in the West. Can they make the playoffs? Definitely. I mean, they're the ninth seed right now. The Warriors are the 10th seed. But I have more faith in the Golden State Warriors right now than I do the Lakers. But the Lakers really did heat up in the second half of last season, so maybe they can do it again. As for Golden State, though, they do have an easy schedule remaining, like I said. So I believe in this team to make a run and maybe get the seventh or eighth seed by the start of the playoffs. They'll definitely be at least a play team, though. I don't see Golden State missing the playoffs. So now I'm going to move on to talking about MVP power rankings. Really quick, just going to rank my players 1 through 10 of who I think is the MVP of the NBA this season. At number one, I have Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He has put up video game numbers for yet another season for the Thunder, and he's finally getting the talk he deserves because of how well OKC has played this season. Next up, we have Nikola Jokic, a perennial MVP candidate every single season. He's been terrific this year as well. Then I have Kawhi Leonard. He has been the best player on the court in most Clippers games this season. Our team, the Clippers, are only going to go as far as Kawhi Leonard takes us. And that's a reality. At number four, I have Luka Doncic. A guy that I've never been the highest on. I always thought he was kind of stat padded to some degree. And I thought he was a little overrated. But he's been absolutely balling the season. That's not taking away from him, saying I thought he was a stat-padder. I always thought he was a very talented player and a very good player. But I never thought you were going to win an NBA Finals with Luka Doncic. And the same goes for Jason Tatum. Obviously very talented players. And they obviously put up big numbers. But I've never felt that these two guys are going to carry you to the NBA Finals and win you a championship. They obviously need guys around them. And at the same time, they do have some nights that they're off. Although Luka, really, this season hasn't been off ever, Jason Tatum has had his off nights, especially in the playoffs last season. And then if you look back at the Golden State Warriors NBA Finals versus the Celtics in 2022, Tatum didn't show up in that series at all. But to get back on track, I have Luka at four. I have Donovan Mitchell at five. I think he deserves more recognition for being an MVP candidate. The Cavaliers have been on an absolute run over the last 20 games or so, and they won a lot of those games. With Darius Garland and Evan Mobley being hurt. And that's because of Donovan Mitchell just absolutely going off for 28 to 30 points on every given night. At number six, I have Anthony Edwards, who has led the Minnesota Timberwolves to be the number one seed through the All Star break. And he's been balling this season. If you look at his numbers, he's averaging 26 points per game, shooting 39% from three, also averaging 1.2 steals per game. He has been balling. And honestly, I've said this before on the podcast. I see Flash as a Michael Jordan when I watch him play. I think he has the talent and the ability to be one of the best of all time. I really do. At number seven, I have Giannis Antetokounmpo. And honestly, he should be higher on this list, but Milwaukee's struggling right now. I know there's still a lot of season left, but they are struggling at the start of the Dark Rivers era. The three and seven in the first 10 games of Dark Rivers, they have to figure things out as a team. But it's not Giannis's fault, I don't think. But at the same time, everyone in that lineup has to wake up and figure things out. They're too good to be three and seven over a 10-game stretch. At number eight, I have Demonte Simonis who has been great this season for Sacramento. And he's finally getting some looks at being an MVP candidate, even though that wasn't really the case through the first 40 games or so of the season. At number nine, I have Kevin Durant. He's been great this season as well. And the Phoenix Suns turning things around over the last month or so, he's been a major reason for that. And then at number 10, I have Jason Tatum, who's had a great season as well stats-wise. And the Celtics right now are the best team in the NBA. And Jason Tatum is a big reason for that. So now I'm going to transition to talk about the Clippers who have a tough schedule in the second half of the season. They have seven back-to-backs left. They have to play New Orleans at one point which will be their fifth game in seven days. So that's going to be a really tough stretch, having to play New Orleans for their fifth game in seven days at one point. They only have four games left with more than one rest day, which is tough. And right now they have five four-game weeks left. So five weeks with four games, and they have four weeks with three games left. So that's going to be a really tough stretch through the rest of the season. And they have to start out with Oklahoma City tonight on the road. And I'd love to see a win here, but it's not going to be easy. One thing that I'm happy about, though, is seeing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George healthy. That's what we ultimately need. I was worried before the All Star break because Kawhi Leonard missed the game against Golden State. The Clippers sent Bowen's Time to PJ Tucker home. And also, the Clippers lost two of the last three games heading into that game. So I was really worried that things were going to fall apart like they do every single year. And they're also going up against a hot Golden State team without Kawhi Leonard. But the Clippers beat them in that game before the All Star break, a game that the Clippers trailed by 11 points heading into the fourth quarter. But Amir Coffey, Russell Westbrook, Norman Powell all came up huge in the last 12 minutes, and they were a major reason the Clippers won that game. They outscored Golden State 44 to 28 in the fourth quarter, and the Clippers needed that win. Norman Powell was 4 for 4 from three in the fourth. Amir Coffey had seven points in the fourth quarter, was one for one from three and four for four from the free throw line. He didn't miss in the fourth quarter at all. In just three minutes of action, had seven points, and then Russell Westbrook was four six on the floor in the fourth with 10 points four rebounds, two rebounds that were absolutely huge. One of them was a put-back dunk and a free throw that the Clippers needed. He also had three assists and a steal. He was huge in that win. And I was happy to see the Clippers get that win because they needed that more than anything. And the reason I was worried is because there were distractions around the team heading into that game. And they weren't playing their best basketball in the last couple of weeks before the All-Star break anyways. They were winning a lot of close games just based off talent, like Kawhi Leonard said, and not based off execution and trying to figure out the other team. They were just winning games based off talent rather than strategy. And a major distraction around that team heading into that game against Golden State was P.J. Tucker being sent home and also Bones Highland being sent home to reevaluate their mindsets heading into the All-Star break. I know P.J. Tucker is upset. He hasn't played since November 27th. And I'd like to see him get a minute or two at some point. I'm hoping that's the case over the next week or two. Now that we're after the All-Star break, maybe Ty Lue looked at the rotations during the All-Star break and thought, okay, maybe we could fit in P.J. Tucker in this sort of lineup. And also Bones Highland. I'm happy to see that these two guys are back at Clippers' practices. Saw a report yesterday. They were both back at the Clippers' practice yesterday. And the Clippers' Instagram even posted both those guys practicing. So that's obviously a good sign. But I think you need to find a way to get Bones Highland some minutes as well. I'd love to see PJ get some minutes, but I'd love to see Bones Highland get minutes more. That kid deserves to play. But with that being said, the Clippers are winning games with the rotation they have right now. So it's really risky to try to mess that up. So if we can't put those two guys in the rotation without hurting the rotation then I'd be worried and I wouldn't want to do that. Even though I want to see them both play, the Clippers winning games is most important and they've been absolutely great over the last two months. The best team in the NBA since the start of December. Anyways, now I'm going to transition to talk about All-Star Weekend. The three-point contest was entertaining, probably the best part of the weekend. I was rooting for Donovan Mitchell. Unfortunately, he fell in the first round. Collin and the of Trey Young were right there in the end. But Damian Lillard didn't miss when he needed to. Made a lot of big shots. Lillard ended up winning back-to-back three-point contests. Second year in a row he's won. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA for a reason. He obviously showed that in that game. So that was a big contest, something fun to watch. I feel like that contest never feels. But there were some things that were underwhelming. One thing that wasn't underwhelming, though, was the competition between Steph Curry and Sabrina Ionescu. That was a fun competition to watch. And even though Steph Curry took home the win with a clutch last two racks, he went 9-10 his last 10 shots, that was a very fun matchup to watch because it went right down to the wire. And viewership actually peaked in these skills competitions at ten fifteen when Steph Curry and Sabrina were going at it. So obviously everyone was tuning in to see that matchup. And I think this was a good proposition for next year. How about we get Sabrina and Caitlin Clark? Clark who's had a historic college career at Iowa and gonna be the number one pick in the WNBA draft. Have Caitlin Clark and Sabrina go up against Steph Curry and Damian Lillard, make it a two V two WNBA versus NBA. And then combine each player's scores. So let's say Steph Curry and Damian Lillard have 26 and 27 combined. And Sabrina and Caitlin Clark have 28 and 27. Then you combine those two scores. Sabrina and Caitlin Clark went 55 to 53. I think that would be fun to watch. One thing that was underwhelming though was the dunk contest. And Jalen Brown was the only big name in it. So credit to Jalen Brown. I know a lot of people upset with him and a few of his dunks. Jalen did well in my opinion. I was honestly happy to see him in it. I thought it was entertaining. But... At the end of the day, you need big names in the dunk contest. You really do. Credit to Mac McClung. This isn't taking away from him. He had some great dunks in this year's contest, just like he did last year. He's now won two years in a row. And I did love Jalen Brown's tribute to his friend Terrence Clark. I thought that was very special. A hometown kid from Boston. That was a very special gesture from Jalen Brown. And I'm happy he did it. I thought that was awesome. But I do think the NBA needs legitimate dunkers in the contest. How about Anthony Edwards, John Morant, Miles Bridges, and then Russell Westbrook, or even Kyle Anthony Towns? Go against each other in the dunk contest next season. I know injuries are a worry, but nobody got hurt in this year's dunk contest. I know injuries are a worry, and I get that. But I think it would be very entertaining to watch those guys go at it. One other thing that was underwhelming was the skills challenge. It seemed like it was just a joke, kind of, to some degree. The Pacers did win it. Good to see the hometown team win that competition. And then also Benedict Matherin won the MVP of the Rising Stars game. That was cool to see as well. Obviously, the Indiana home crowd was excited to see that. But I thought the skills challenge was underwhelming as well. And then the All-Star game was a mess. The East won that game 211-186, but the NBA needs to figure out a way to make this game somewhat competitive because nobody wants to see a layup and dunk line. It's like a game of shots and layups. No defense, all wide open shots, and just very uncompetitive. The NBA needs to find a way to figure this out. The NFL switched up their Pro Bowl. They made it a Pro Bowl games, and it ended up working. I think it's a major success, the Pro Bowl games. Maybe the NBA does like a 3v3 tournament with the eight highest vote getters being captains, and then they draft their remaining 16 players, make it a 3v3 contest with games up to 15 points, with shots being ones and twos, meaning a two-point shot is worth one point, a three-point shot is worth two points. And then for compensation, let's say maybe $50,000 for each player participating, and then 500000 or even a million if the NBA wants to go that far for the team that wins. I think the NBA needs to make a change. Having 397 combined points in the All-Star game, that wasn't really fun to watch. The East won that game 211 and 186, 397 combined points. The East scored 51 or more points in every single quarter. And 397 points was the most points in All Star game history. And the East also broke the record for most points by a single team in All Star history as well, with 211. But 397 points, that's just absolutely ridiculous. Lillard was great in this game. He was fun to watch. 39 points. He was the MVP. He had two or three half-court shots that went in. He was 11 of 23 from three-point range. As I said, two or three half-court shots. Those are fun to watch. Halliburton was hot right away. 32 points. 10 to 14 from three. Seven rebounds. Six assists. Jalen Brown had a very good game. 36 points. Six of 12 from three. Colin Towns had 50 points. Most of them being in the second half. But he also had 35 shots. 23 of 35. Four of 13 from three. But at the end of the day, having 168 combined three-point attempts... That was the most ever in NBA All-Star Game history. It wasn't really fun to watch. It wasn't fun at all watching 168 combined three-point attempts. As I said, it was like a game of shots and layups. And this is what LeBron James had to say after the game. Is this what the players want, though? Is this what you think what fans want, too? Um, I don't know. I, mean, I think it's something we need to figure out. Um, you know, I don't know where's the median, because this, this is what a lot of the games are starting to look like now, too. We wanted to, you know, um, get more you know, more pace to the game. We wanted to get more shots. We wanted the game to be more free-flowing. Um, we stopped letting the game be, um, you know, freedom of movement, a lot of freedom of movement now, and that's what a lot of our games is in the regular season now. It let us tighten up in the postseason. Um, so it's a, it's a deeper dive into a conversation of how we can um, shore up this game, um, obviously from a player's perspective. You know, it's fun to get up and down, but at the end of the day, our competitive nature don't like just being able to just have free-form scoring like that. So, um, I think the the good thing that came out of tonight is none of the players um, were injured. Everybody came out unscathed or, you know, how they were before the game started. um, But it's it's a deeper conversation. So like LeBron James said, it's on the players. The players have to figure out what they want to do in these games. And like you said, the NBA games now are trending away from fundamentals. They're trending away from playing defense. And it's all about scoring and shooting threes. And the All-Star game, I'm not saying I want it to be Game 7 of the NBA Finals and want every player playing as hard as they can like this season was on the line. But at the same time, you want it to be entertaining a little. Not let everybody just shoot wide open shots and make it a game of shots and layups. That's not really entertaining at all. And here's what Anthony Edwards had to say after the game. <laughs> That's a good, great question. Um, I think, for me, it's an all-star game, so I don't think it, it, I will ever look at it like being super competitive. It's always fun, um, but I don't know what they can do to make it more competitive. I don't know. I think everyone looks at it. It's, it's like a, it's a break, so I don't think nobody would come here and compete. <laughs> so that's what Anthony Edwards had to say, and the main thing he said there is that basically he doesn't care about the all-star game. It's really just funny games, and nobody's there looking to compete. And like I said, I'm not expecting a Game 7 of the NBA Finals vibe. I'm not expecting lockdown defense and pressing and teams having set plays and all that. I'm not expecting that. I'm not expecting hot fouls. But you want to at least keep it competitive to the degree where you're not disrespecting the game, where it's just a game of shots and layups. I want guys to at least try somewhat, or at least have a hand in your face. Maybe not hustling around setting screens. I don't think you need to do that. I don't think you need to press. I don't think you need to play aggressive defense. Just keep it somewhat respectable. Where at the same time, both teams are playing somewhat the same defense, whether it's 50%. And I think that would be a better entertaining game than just watching teams play zero defense like we saw the other night. And I'm not taking away from the game completely. Like I said, it was fun to watch Damian Lewitt. It was fun to watch Jalen Brown hit some of those shots. It was fun to watch Tyrese Halliburton in the first half just go absolutely ridiculous from three. That was fun to watch. Colony Towns had some exciting dunks to watch as well. Those are always fun things to watch in the All-Star game. Some long threes, some nice dunks, but not every single play. We're just driving down the lane and there's no one there. I think that was the issue with this year's All-Star Game. And that's been the issue the last few years. So I'm looking forward to the NBA hopefully trying to figure out a way to make this somewhat more entertaining to watch and more competitive. Will I be watching anyways next year? Probably. I mean, the same goes to the Pro Bowl games. When they changed the format, everybody was upset. I gave it a chance, watched it last year, thought it was entertaining, and then this year I thought it was even better. I actually legitimately enjoyed watching the Pro Bowl this year. So I'm hoping next year the same goes to the NBA All-Star Game. Where at the end of the day, yeah, it is fun seeing these guys hit long threes. I'm not trying to take away from that. It's exciting to see these guys... Make some threes from half court. But you don't want to see it every single play. So that's my issue with the game. Anyways, that'll wrap up this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.